If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to former number one overall NBA draft pick and college basketball player of the year, Joe Smith, about his love of hip-hop, his experience recording rap songs, and what it is like when old Dirty Bastard busts into a studio session unannounced. (laughs) And we will break down all of the non-sports news of the week, including, uh, including a little bit of birthday drama for one Mr. Adam Willard. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the line, also in Chicago, Mr. Birthday Man himself. He is a nationally recognized PR savant. It's Mr. Ooh. It's, Ooh. it's Mr. Yeah, okay. Adam <laughs> Willard. Adam, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Uh, you mentioned my birthday. And I appreciate you taking the time to recognize it. Uh, it was overall, it was a good birthday. Spoiler. My girlfriend was here. My girlfriend well, was here. The pre- bro, the- introduce me before we get to this. You, no, no, this no. going to go mm, a while. Yeah. I'm sorry. This isn't all about me. Go ahead, Gareth. <laughs> also with us in our Brooklyn Bureau, it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, uh, you've had a long a long journey covering a March Madness. We're taping this during the final. Uh, how does it feel not to be working tonight? Somebody was like, how do you feel about not being at the Final Four for the first time in nine years? I was like, yeah, by the time, like, you know, the week before the event, <laughs> you've experienced both of this, where, like, everybody's like, oh, they're adding people to the Final Four. I turned to my editor, and I was like, Dude, I am like Buster Bluth in Arrested Development when it's like a Milford man should be seen and not heard. Like, I'm ducking around corners. I'm hiding in trash cans. When people start talking about going to the Final Four, I am nowhere to be found. This is sweet, man. Yeah, that's like Super Bowl week. Yeah. The way when, when my boss was like, we need you to go to Minnesota. And I'm like, okay. And then she sends me this long email the night before. It's like, I'm so sorry. I hate to do this to you. But, um, uh, we, you know, we, we don't need you to go. We, we had to shuffle around tickets. And I think I, d- I called her instantly and I was like, you're not fucking around, right? Because I'm like about to pack and I do not want to do that. <laughs> so let's just confirm this. Do yeah. you, we've talked about this a little bit before, but Gareth, is it, are you able to separate the two, the work from the event that you see on TV? And I know you're, you're we're going to get to that, but. Well, so like, um, uh, I, I remember it was a few years ago was when the final four was in Atlanta, actually the last time Michigan was in the championship game, it was the very beginning of the game. And I was standing out on the floor and I thought back on like, man, this was a long, it's always the problem with the final four is just, it's the end of such a grind with the tournament. Like 
Adam came to visit to New York and we were going to try to get together. And he came to the edit and hung out for a few hours and I didn't do anything. I ended up in that edit room till three in the morning. So all of our plans to go out and have a fun night did not happen. Uh, Cause I was working till three in the morning on a Friday night and it's basically the final four is the end of that month. But as I was standing there on the floor uh, in Atlanta a few years back, I just looked around at this huge dome and I just thought to myself, when I was a kid going to the NCAA tournament, if you told me I'd be standing on the floor at the final four when I was a grown up, that'd be pretty cool. You should probably try to appreciate this dude. And uh, I'll just never forget that moment of like, always take one, try to take a minute at all these events to soak it in and enjoy it. Because then you become the joyless sports cynic that we're always flirting with, but we don't actually want to become. So, Yeah, I was reading up on Howard Cassell over the weekend. The movie Ali uh, was on HBO, and so it, it inspired me to read up on him and I really didn't know that towards the end of his career and life that he was he really just did not enjoy sport like he used to and he spoke out about all the injustices in sport and everything wrong with it and I think maybe he just stayed in the game too long but I think that's it I I feel the same way Gareth looking back at some of those Super Bowls I mean it is a grind you're not sleeping well you're not eating healthy you probably had too much caffeine and alcohol but man there's somewhere there's a 22 year old kid who would kill to put in the week (laughs) that i just put in so you have to kind of appreciate that speaking of putting in the work let's get to this podcast too man (laughs) (laughs) all right right now we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open anything in the world of sports that is not sports is fair game guys I'm going to start uh, with uh, with a pretty hot take for me. Um, I, I, I tend to keep it if it's not me defending like a, a, an athlete rap album. I tend to keep it pretty measured here on Just Not Sports. Um, but I definitely want to break down something that got a lot of attention today, which was the start of the new Mike Greenberg, Jalen Rose, uh, Michelle Beadle show. Uh, Get up. And they 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 rolled back uh, the mentalist Oz uh, Oz Perlman I think is his name. So two weeks Oz ago, Perlman's yeah. Correct. So two weeks ago, he freaked everybody out because he had Jalen Rose write down a score of one of the games, and then he had Mike Greenberg. He did his thing where he like looks in their eyes and and kind of just makes them nervous, and the whole mood is weird, and they don't quite know what he's doing. And he's like, Greeny, what, what's the score going to be? And Greenberg picks the game and picks the score, and it's exactly what Jalen had predicted. And, like, everybody's just super freaked out. So, of course, what do they do? They run this back for the opening day of the show. But now this guy has allegedly, and I'm, I'm putting the biggest air quotes <laughs> around that statement. <laughs> He's allegedly picked all four teams in the final four, which, mind you, includes Loyola, hashtag Sister Jean U. And he's also picked all this other stuff. And I, instantly, everybody's like, there's no way this is real. And the whole mood has changed from this guy is like crazy, insanely Rasputin-like to... Okay, how they do that? It's clearly fake. So, Gareth, I want to start with you. 
As a TV producer, this reminded me so much of when Mike and Mike did their Frank Caliendo reads the LeBron decision or the, the, the no, he reads the LeBron going back to Cleveland letter as Morgan Freeman. And it was a huge smash. Right. And then they trotted that back like time after time after time. Like uh, now he's doing uh he's doing <laughs> Sean Livingston tweets as John Gruden. And you're like, okay, like I'm out. <laughs> At what point do you ever, as a producer, have to say, we cannot keep running this back because it is now diminishing returns? That segment today was six minutes long. I mean, that is that is filler. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that is not a tight two, three. That's like, all right, we, we lost a guest. This package we thought we were going to have didn't get done. So uh, go out and stretch him a little bit. <laughs> You know, like yeah, I've it's produced not like those the tight, shows. It's not like the tight ten minutes we do and can really keep all the topics <laughs> right, moving. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, keep it to a tight ten, no more. Um, so anyway, I think the biggest issue with that segment was just that it felt like there was this constant. Uh, reassurance or justification. Like, we're really yes. coming up with this on the spot. Or, like, he just did this. Or, trust me, this has been with us the last... This briefcase has been with us the last three weeks. And it just... It was the classic, like, thou doth protest too much. Like, yeah, dude, I'm. you've got this guy here. I saw the last one. It was for a 45-second clip. Um, I buy it. Like, if he's here, I get it. That's the gag. And so then to do it for six minutes and spend half of it justifying how real it was, you know, it becomes like every internet meme ever where it's like, if you go out of your way to tell me how real this was, about halfway through the tweet storm, I'm like, so this is fake, right? This didn't actually happen or this is all made up or whatever. Um, and so... I would hope that those producers would be after today be like, I think we've had enough from Oz the mentalist uh, and just kill it. Move on. Come up yeah. with something yeah. different. We all understand this guy is a magician or illusionist. And Gareth, as you said, it's proactively defensive. It was like a PR person wrote this segment because it apologized <laughs> from the start. It's much like, Le'Veon Bell's next next album being called Seriously Guys I'm a great rapper really <laughs> you take that back seriously guys back I want right to be now. in Pittsburgh <laughs> you shut your mouth about Le'Veon Bell's rap okay because you know what Adam I edit this show I'll cut that entire episode in right now right here hey bro hey bro wow wow yeah I ain't with the drama, so I ain't tripping about them. Had to find my way to the top, came from the bottom. They be throwing shade, but I be rocking armor. I got my badge of honor, so don't you judge your honor. <laughs> you have no idea until you're on a treadmill. Remix! <laughs> wouldn't be the first time I've been disrespected this week. <laughs> well, hey, well, we'll get to that real quick. I want to say, that what this reminded me of was the most effective magic I, I have ever seen in my life has been small magic. Magic that makes you do a quick double take, but almost forget what you were looking at to begin with. David Copperfield getting cut in half to me is not magic. But like David Blaine 
making someone think he levitated two inches on the street, that that will stick with you forever. So, Mentalist, dial it down. Mike and Mike, or whatever, the new show, Get Up. I think they're a talented cast. I wish them nothing but the best, but I would not keep trotting this stuff out because it was a hit once. And I hope they keep that in mind for everything else. And lastly, if you were going to pick the Final Four correctly with an 11 seed in there, if you didn't go to Vegas and put down that parlay, then you weren't much of a magician at all. Okay? Because right. I once saw a guy hit a trifecta at the track on a, on a $12 bet and win 2500 bucks in my face. This thing would have hit for hundred grand. Like, get out of my face. Brad, as we went to the 2006 Final Four together, which was the one with George Mason, you were like... You said to me, you were like, you know what I think about somebody who picked George Mason to be in their final four? I was like, what? And you were like, they're a fucking moron. Uh, I don't care, man. Like, if you put George Mason in your final four, you're an idiot. Yeah. Or your kid plays for the team. Last so, team in the tournament, man. They were at large, too. All right, Adam, um, let's, get to, uh, let's get to the birthday stuff this week, man. Um, how was it? Was it a happy birthday at work for you? Uh, it was a happy birthday overall. Uh, my girlfriend planned an outstanding weekend the weekend before. Uh, we went axe throwing. and nice. uh, Then we went, yeah, we went and ate a lot of meat at the Purple Pig, uh, a restaurant down the street from, from your office, Brad. Um, during the week, it was great. Uh, got some got some good gifts. Um and then uh, my girlfriend, even though she couldn't be here on Thursday, she planned uh, dinner at, at a restaurant called Frontier. So I really can't complain about the week too much, but every cloud has a dark lining, and that's what I want to talk about. Um, so Thursday during the day at work, we have a we have a pretty good tradition. I can't say that I organize it, but we have a we have a big team, and we have a nice tradition that when it's somebody's birthday, a uh, birthday card is is passed around. Everybody signs it, and then there's some sort of surprise and and cookies or cupcakes involved. And <laughs> Thursday, it, oh, I should add to this: uh, there was another girl in my office. We'll call her Jennifer to protect her during this story. Uh, it was also Jennifer's birthday, and we were IMing back and forth with each other. Uh, and we we're like, hey, do you think people just forgot? I don't see any celebration happening. Uh, and the day went by, and the clock hit 5.30, which means, I mean, <laughs> everybody has gone at 5.29. So that, that was it. And I thought, hey, you know what? People make mistakes. It happens. And then today, today being Monday, Jennifer's card came to my desk, and I thought, all right, no problem. There was an oversight, but it's all good now. <laughs> I signed her card. <laughs> I took it to the next person. And later that afternoon, I hear, surprise, from another office down the hall from mine. And... <laughs> I'm not in that office, uh, nor was I invited. And I thought, 
I get it. No problem. They're trying to do these one at a time. They, they're just because two of us had this birthday on the same day. They're just they're trying to break these up a little bit. I get it. And this person's younger. They want to make her feel special. I get it. They'll come in towards the end of the day. So it's 530 and I thought, <laughs> uh, I see what's happening here. They really want me to think that this just isn't happening. And then it was 535 <laughs> and, uh, and then it was 540. You look around, it's just like chairs spinning empty. And I look around, yeah, and it's tumbleweed and the lights <laughs> flickering. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yep. Uh, so I don't want to overreact because it was probably just a mistake. But I mean, uh, Adam, telling this story but, on uh, your podcast is probably overreacting. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I would. I and I hesitated about whether or not to tell this story on the podcast, and then I realized <laughs> all these people fucking hate me, and they don't listen to my <laughs> podcast anyway. So. We are really widening. When I say everything in sports that's not sports is wide open, we are we are making this real wide now. <laughs> like, I thought I thought may, I thought maybe you'd say that, and uh, at the end of the day, I blame you for just not working it into the open. But uh, <laughs> so this is my opportunity. Hey man, that's hor- I think office horrifying. birthday politics happen everywhere. Like, didn't the Warriors just canceled? Uh, all team activities the day after Steph Curry's 30th birthday. I mean, like, office birthday politics are real for NBA teams, PR offices, everywhere you go. Yeah. Dude, Steph Steph is 30? Yeah, I thought, honestly, as a guy who has talked on here about, um, frankly, my drinking problems, I was really impressed with that as an organization. For them to step up the day after that, that birthday party and be like, you know what, guys? No practice. We're not. Everyone stay home today. That's that's the right call. I, I mean, I was like, that is real, real team leadership there when you need it. Those guys will go to war for Steve Kerr and the entire Warriors organization. But you know what's crazy, right? It's like Steph being thirty. Like LeBron, he was setting some record this month about he's he you know he beat Jordan's like most double-digit points games in a row or something. And they're like, he's already 33. (laughs) So LeBron's three years older (laughs) than Steph? What? Yeah. You you have to remember that, first of all, Steph went to college. And then he was not a... Three, four years? Yeah. He he was not an instant sensation. He struggled for a few years. It's honestly shocking to me. Like, And everyone talks about LeBron like... How does old man LeBron do it? And I'm like, that guy's five years younger than me. <laughs> right, right, right. I can right. barely walk into the Y <laughs> like, without holding the railing up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even 40. <laughs> like, come on. All right. Look, okay, I'm gonna keep, I, I have to keep this. As we're talking about age and birthdays, I have to keep this. I'm going to be sensitive to keep this a non-sports take. But... This is the subject. This is the show that Brad, where we've talked about this in the past, but you were the one who said it when a guy in your office was like, Can you believe Randy Moss says he takes plays off? And you were like, Bro, <laughs> you're on ESPN.com right now reading about this <laughs> at the office. So uh, go hard or go home, big guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I, I, 
I think that honestly might be one of LeBron's great contributions to the NBA. He has turned the regular season into an office job where he's just sort of like, yeah, look, I'll show up on Tuesday, but I'm not really going to show up, if you know what I mean. You know, at the end of the season, you got me, but this is a the nine-to-five aspect of an NBA basketball game. LeBron's pretty checked out on that, and that is okay. <laughs> Amen. All right, Gareth, uh, close us out wide open. All right. As in the era of Me Too and representation matters, as the father of a daughter, I just tried to hit all my buzzwords up top. Uh, just a quick one on Sunday, because I was not at the Final Four. I was home with my family. And um, just before bed, I turned on the Women's NCAA Championship to show my daughter, who's six. And there have been two great actual insights from her into representation matters. First of all was when she was about four, she started reading DC Superhero Girls. And she came up to me, and she loved these comic books, and she came up to me, and she was like, Daddy, are there any boy superheroes? And I just thought to myself, like, man, the idea that this little girl could think even for like 15 minutes that there were not boy superheroes is such yeah, a remarkable leap forward. That is a yeah. huge leap forward. And then I turned, so I turned on the game on Sunday night, and she goes... She's like, what's this, basketball? And I said, yeah, it's the women's championship. And she was like, all girls basketball? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, no boys allowed? And I said, yeah, it's just all girls. She was like, daddy, can we go to one of these games? And so, Brad, I, I want to give you a lot of credit because I know that that is something, you know, like showing your daughter uh women's games and soccer games and all that stuff has been a big part of how you've raised her. And, um, bluntly, we don't, there's not always a ton of sports on in our house. If I'm going to be honest, mostly it's football, if anything. But, um, I think yesterday hearing her instantaneous reaction to that was sort of like, Oh, I've probably missed this boat for the last couple of years and she would have appreciated it. Uh, Adam and I took, uh, Charlie, my oldest daughter, uh, Charlotte, uh, to the, see the Chicago Red Stars, and uh, shout out Red Stars! They they brought us there. They put us up in a suite, and I when I watched Charlie look at this at the field and say, "Daddy, are the are the team in blue? Are they are they uh, are they girls?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "What about the purple team?" Yeah. What about the referees? Yeah. And she said, "Wow." And then you just think like, yeah, I mean. You know, how many Cubs games have I watched with her? How many Bears Bengals games have I watched with her? Like, guys, if you have daughters, like, don't like lean in, don't lean out. Like, take them to women's games. Like, I, we're, we're going to go again. And in fact, um, I was hanging hanging out a few weeks ago with this guy because uh, his his daughter's uh, friends with with Charlie and. And I'm like, dude, we should go to Red Stars game, man. It's a lot of fun. The players are awesome. Like, you know, Julie Ertz is on the team. We'll go see him play like uh, Orlando, you know, Alex Morgan's team. He's like, yeah, like we know the players too. Like it's not, this isn't like 1975 and you're just doing it out of charity. Like these athletes are fucking awesome. So, I, you know, just just go, uh, go do the it. NCAA, the NCAA Women's Championship was, was awesome. Bonkers. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. If you're dad... <laughs> 
take your kids to these games. It's awesome. They're usually super cheap, uh, and your daughter will fall asleep in the car on the way home, and you can put on whatever you want to put on <laughs> musically because they're exhausted <laughs> from being in the sun all day. Get it done. Go to these games. We're going we're gonna to go to see the Sky, the WNBA team this summer. We're going to go see the Red Stars once or twice, uh, you know, just like we do with the Cubs games. Like, it's, it's a lot of fun, man. Go do it. All right. That is wide open. Right now, we are going to go to an interview that Adam and I got to do with an old favorite of the Just Not Sports podcast, Mr. Joe Smith. And I say old favorite because for those of us who grew up in the 90s, man, the hip-hop of that era, the the college basketball of that era, uh, just... It's such a part of our life. Joe Smith on that Maryland team, mm-hmm. you know, he played with Stevie franchises a couple, uh, at least for one <laughs> year, right? Joe Smith is great, man. He had a long NBA career. You guys probably have seen the headlines about him and how he lost his money and how life is in turmoil. And we reached out and we're like, he is very positive. He started a new basketball academy. He's out there teaching kids about uh, boys and girls about uh, basketball. He is uh, a super fun and engaging guy. We had a great conversation about hip-hop then and now, about his foray into making music of his own. We tell old stories. He talks about whether KG would be a great rap artist. Spoiler. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Joe Smith was positive about everything except for KG's rap career. <laughs> we break down Malik Seeley and his influence on uh, introducing Joe to Jay-Z. We talk about the time ODB rolled into a studio session that Joe was attending. It is a lot of fun, man. Relish in it. Go download B-Ball's Best Kept Secrets and all of Joe's uh, songs. And we will be back to distract you after that. And Gareth Hughes has promised us some pre-written genius stick around all the last couple years we've seen guys walking around with a suit with no tie and i think you invented that look in the 1995 (laughs) nba draft and i'm just wondering where are these kids going to give you the credit I don't know. There's a lot of things I would get credit for. And, I, <laughs> and, that, and that's definitely one of them. I mean, uh, I, I, I believe I was probably the first uh, to, to wear a suit at the draft with no tie and uh, with the mock collar. And uh, that was my intention when I did it to try and set a trend. And now I'm standing more and more. So maybe it took a little while to catch on. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're gonna we're gonna break down some hip hop today, and I I, I want to start with just that era of the '90s um, because right. I always think we we talk we've talked to a lot of athletes about um, how their formative years, you know, middle school, high school, college, that creates tastes uh, that last a lifetime. And I'm just right. wondering, like, how do you look back on that era now and the influence it played in your in the in the music that you love to this day? I mean, when I look back on it, I, I, I mean, the the hip hop era, the music R and B era. I mean, it was it was it was really uh, the beginning for me. I mean, I, I always loved loved music and loved listening to music. But um, 
and I like you say, I was my, towards my senior year in high school and then towards college. You know that music was almost the fuel for my uh, for 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 uh, what I did on the court. So I mean, I always like love to hear good music. I always love to uh, uh, vibe to good music, and it was like Bad Boy, and it was Biggie, and it was uh, Mob Deep, and it was Jay Z, and it was Nas, and you know the music and, and uh, artists for artists. And, you know, the music was great music. It was putting out good, wholesome music in my eyes, and uh, that's when I really fell in love with it. Absolutely. I mean, so you, you mentioned listening to those guys. Did you have a signature pregame song that was like, you know, just got you in the right frame of frame of mind before a big game? Um, I didn't have one. It changed up, of course. It changed up because, uh, you know, every, back then, you know, so many guys had so many, uh, so many top songs that it changed up. I didn't have one. But uh, when I got to college, I know Biggie was my uh, his whole out his whole CD. Uh, you know, got me. It was what, what motivated me for the games. I mean, I listened to it all the time, every right. game. And, and and you know, he was my favorite artist at that time, and uh, and he really really motivated me and got motivated me and got me through a lot of games. Just uh, just his lyrical wordplay, you know, and everything like that. The music and everything was 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 was, was what motivated me. Joe, if you were a boxer and you had a walkout song from the '90s, what would that song be? Um, a walkout song song would probably be "Shook One." Ah, uh, Mob Deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. You know that? Yeah, that. I, you know, I, I like to play mind games with my opponents a little bit, so that'll be a mind game. You know. Uh, coming into the ring to a song like that, let them know they—I uh, feel they shook already. They shook one already. Joe, I would be—I uh, would be Skilos. I wish I was a little bit taller, man. <laughs> <laughs> Before David Stern instituted the dress code, um, hip hop really had an influence on the fashion of the NBA. Can you talk about those days and how you think? things have changed from then to now fashion-wise? I mean, yeah, it definitely had an effect. I mean, we all, when we first, when I first got drafted into the NBA, it was, we were more uh, uh, throwback jerseys, jeans, tennis shoes, and t-shirts, and uh, it was more hip-hop fashion. Um, But uh, when David Stern made that, you know, changed the rules up a little bit, I think uh, it really helped us out. I mean, it helped the brand out, but I mean, I think it helped us out uh, mature a little bit more, <laughs> you know. People a lot people don't realize how much just changing your clothes uh, makes you mature a little bit more. So I think it allowed us to mature a little bit more. And uh, nowadays, you know, you, you, it's kind of going back towards it a little bit, uh, the hip hop uh, era. But I mean, it's, it's, they're still keeping it keeping the fashion classy, though. Do you think there should be any rules specifically for Russell Westbrook? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. They need a Russell. Oh, my God. Every time I see something, they need, <laughs> they need a Westbrook rule. I mean, this some of the outfits I see them in, I just shake my head and just laugh at. I mean, from the uh, Sports Illustrated covers to whatever he wears to the game, when I see post-game interviews, I just, you know, just shake my head and just laugh at what. How do you get dressed, buddy, is what I want to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, let me ask you. I mean, there's an indelible link between uh, athletes and and musicians. 
And we consistently see athletes show up in music videos. So I'm just wondering, how many music videos did you get a chance to appear in or get asked to appear in um, during your career? My first time on set was I was actually, um, uh, it was a bad boy uh, uh, video shoot. And and um, uh, I believe it was uh, Total back in ni- uh, 90, right before I got drafted. And um, uh, uh, it was ridiculous. Puff had the video set, set, set out and my first time on a video set. So my eyes and my, no, everything was just wide open, right? I'm just <laughs> walking around, you know, just <laughs> amazed at everything I see and how everything is set up. And my first time actually seeing something shot like, uh, you know, a, a video shot, you know, a movie shot or whatever. So, you know, being behind the scenes and seeing that, that was really the most amazing part for me. I was going to say, was, was, was Puffy on the set? Did you, uh, do you challenge him to some one-on-one or maybe get some, uh, get some pointers from him on, uh, on living the, living <laughs> no, you the know, life? You know, I actually played, um, again, before I got drafted, I, pl- I played for Puffy's team at, at Rucker Park. So oh. I was in the studio, you know, so I had, I had already been in the studio with him, and I was actually in the studio when um, ODB came and did his verse for that Mariah Carey song. I got a chance to experience that live, you know, right, right in the studio, and that was amazing. What was ODB? What was ODB like to hang out with, man? He actually just came in and got right to work, but he was <laughs> he was a wild, he was wild. <laughs> I mean, he was wild. Some of the things he was saying, and uh, you know, just how he acted. You know, I, um, he he was he's a wild guy. He was a wild guy. Hey, Joe, this is not hip hop related, but I remember. In 1996, there was an HBO movie, Rebound, The Legend of Earl Manigault. You played Connie Hawkins in that movie. How did that opportunity come about, and what was that like? It was uh, starring a young Don Cheadle, by the way. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, it came through, uh, through my agent. They were looking for some NBA players to uh, you know, play, on, play, play the role of some of the uh, former players. So they reached out to... Uh, to my agent uh, Kevin Garnett, they, we had the same agent. So um, he, Kevin, played Will Chamberlain. I played Connie Hawkins. Then we had Pooh Richardson out there. Um, I can't remember who Pooh uh, who Richardson played. I think he was Earl the Pearl, right? I think that's exactly what was Earl the Pearl. And um, but I mean, it was that that was a fun time. We actually shot that in Toronto and uh, spent a couple weeks up there shooting that, and that was a lot of fun. My te- uh, like you said, young Don Cheadle. Uh, actually, his little brother <clears throat> played his double, so when you see him jumping in the air for those high dunks and stuff like that, that's his little brother who uh. almost looked just like him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that was, it was a great time, great opportunity. When did you when did you first start recording your own music and and how much did it play a role in you know athletes are always looking I think for something to sort of get away from the pressures and the rigors of sports uh, when right. they're when they're away from the court so when when did you first sort of transition to laying down your own music and and, and how did it sort of help your own mental headspace I mean I started about ninety seven recording my own music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I mean, it was, cause usually I'm, I'm, I'm a quiet guy. I usually sit back quietly. I don't, don't talk much, don't say much. And that was really just an outlet for me. You know, uh, I was able to, you know, put my thoughts, put what I felt on paper or 
at the time, yeah, at that time on paper <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of get it off my chest and get some things, you know, some thoughts out there that uh, I normally wouldn't say or normally wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, speak of. So, I mean, it was, for me, it was just the outlet at first. And then uh, from there, I just, you know, something I, I really felt that I really felt I was getting better and better at and, and uh, started seeing the improvements. So I, I, I decided to, that I wanted to take it another level. You know, you know, you were a number one NBA overall pick, player of the year in college. Um, so clearly, you're excelling in the the highest percentage of of a certain uh, sport. Right. Is it difficult to then take on something where you are starting from a lower space and you have to work and build back up? Was it frustrating for you, uh, or did you, you know, candidly, uh, did you find it exciting because you'd been at such a high level doing something else for so long? I found I, I still find it exciting. I mean, uh, 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 just knowing that. I mean, uh, uh, I try to. You know, you do what uh, I done, did. What I did on the basketball court, and you know, I felt like you know I accomplished a lot of great things. But you know, just being able to uh, your second love when you find that second love and something that you really enjoy, something else that you really enjoy, and being able to. Uh, uh, have do something great with that as well. You know, that's something that makes you feel good. That makes you feel great that you were able to do something, uh, achieve goals at one thing. And then, at the, and then when you find that second love, you're able to achieve the same kind of goals. That's a great feeling, but you know, it's going to be some work at it. You know, some people not going to accept you right away because you're coming from a different Avenue. So I, mean, I, I kind of expected that and uh, kind of pushed past that a little bit. Joe, uh, like the three of us on the phone, hip hop is relatively young. Um, how how is your per, how is your person personal style changed um, in terms of the the evolution of your own music as hip hop has grown? Uh, my style, I mean, it's just the uh, things that I talk about now. I mean, uh, some of the things that I used to talk about when I was younger, um, I don't talk about things like that anymore. I mean, it's is more a more uh, kind of a, a, a educator now <laughs> with, 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 with what I write. I mean, you know, just trying try to uh, influence the young on you know the way of the world and how to change the world and 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 how to overcome you know certain uh, situations and certain things that they might face. And you know, that's what my music is about now. It's just how to how to make yourself better and become better and. And, and, you know, it's just it's, it's something that's uplifting to me. So I know it's going to be uplifting to a lot of people. You know, in listening to some of your songs, um, it's fun when you when you kind of name drop other athletes, uh, you know, whether it's uh, <laughs> Warren Sapp or Kevin Durant. W- what's your threshold? Like, how great does a player have to be to wind up in another athlete's um, music? Um, I mean, I can I go because I, I mean, I've actually played a sport, but. You know, I can go. I go deeper than what a lot of the artists may go. Right. Uh, a lot of artists may go. You know, they stick with the top players or whatever. But uh, with me, I can go a lot deeper because I played the sport. But um, the, the the there's no limits to to who 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 I, who, I, who I may mention in my uh, song. So it might be anybody. And what is your what's your creative process like? What when, when do you when do you sit down to actually construct um, you know lyrics? I mean, like, um, I have a gang of tracks, so I mean, I just go through, uh, 
uh, track for track for track until I find one that, uh, you know, that I really like and, and that I can, you know, uh, create some, create some good out of. So, um, and then I just jump right into it. I mean, it's like, I got, I have to find myself almost falling into the track, you know, and, hmm. and being, 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 being part of the track as I'm writing. I mean, if it's, uh, I hear some things that people might not even hear in the track, you know, and that kind of, and, and that can kind of, you know, change the, the way I might, I might change my flow up a little bit because of one little sound in the track uh, that some people might not even hear, but it'll make me uh, switch my flow up because, you know, I'm that deep into the track. So, I mean, it's, I actually really jump, literally jump into the track. So <laughs> uh, my writing <laughs> process, uh, my writing process is just, and once I'm in there, it just flows. It just flows. And I just write, write, write. Um, go over it a couple times, and then next thing you know, I'm just done with the verse. And, I, and once I fall into it like that, so, I mean, it's, it's it's a great process. I enjoy it, and I love to do it. Joe, Joe when you started uh, getting into the hip-hop creation process, what was your setup, and, and what's your personal investment been like from an equipment standpoint over the years? What does your home studio look like now? Uh, when I first started, <laughs> we started with uh, <laughs> ADAT, and <laughs> uh, I had a couple of ADATs. I had a couple. Uh, uh, I had a small uh, Mackie mixer um, yeah. that I had in the corner. A um, couple of um, what was the name of those speakers? Monitors. Geez, I can't even remember the name of the monitors anymore. Antiques now. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I had a couple small, uh, small monitors. I, it was I had a small setup, and um, uh, now I mean it hasn't grown much, but the the, the equipment is better now. I have now, I have a a, a Digi Double O Three mixer. Um, you know, obviously I'm working through Pro Tools now, uh, which I didn't have back then. Back then. Um, uh, and 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 I have upgraded my micro my microphone. I've actually built my uh, my booth in home. I'm still I'm finishing it off now, but um, I, I built my in home booth now. So I record right here in home with the uh, uh, with the booth inside the booth that I that I'm working on. So um, the, the the software and and, and everything is, is much better now than uh, than what I had back then. You know, Joe. Um... You know, you you played with the late great uh, Malik Seeley. Yes, he's someone who loved hip hop. He was featured on uh, B Ball's Best Kept Secrets, which is still one of our favorite collections of all time. Uh, came out right. just before you came into the league, so I'm just I'm just wondering how much you guys shared music as something to talk about, and 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 as someone who was getting into writing your own, um, you know, your your own songs after Malik mm -hmm. had like, was he someone who provided some inspiration for how to get started? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm a uh, Malik. Actually, took me. Uh, he was the first one to introduce me to Jay Z. Oh. Uh, we played. Yeah, when we played for the Timberwolves, we were in uh, New York to play the Knicks, and uh, you know Malik had the studio, Baseline, rec Baseline Studios, uh, Baseline Records, or one of the two. And uh, so we went over to the studio, and Jay Z was in there recording. And uh, so we in the studio with Jay-Z and then all of a sudden uh, they put on a beat and he just starts freestyling. Jay-Z just starts freestyling. 
He's like, this will never happen for another five years. And he just starts freestyling. And it was like one of the dopest freestyles I've ever, <laughs> <Wow. laughs> ever heard in my life. Motivated me to want to be a, uh, uh, want to be an artist. I mean, just seeing him be able to do that and, and then, uh, hearing the songs that they, that they had, that they were preparing for the album that he was working on. I was like, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how about how about your boy KG? Uh, what's his what are his rap skills like? <laughs> KG tried. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's my guy. But no, he he. I mean, he he used to freestyle with us, but no, he he, he tries, but he's not he's not ready though. <laughs> Who? So so we can't put KG on the Mount Rushmore of athlete rappers. But who who do you think the best athlete rappers of the past and today are? Oh man, I'll give you one. We'll start. How about Roy Jones? Start with that. Roy, I like Roy. Yeah. But I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that either. <laughs> hey, hey, Brad, Brad, I'm trying to get him as a guest. So hold on before. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, man, um, I would say uh, Stephen Jackson's pretty nice. Oh, oh yeah. all right. Yep. Um, who else? Myself, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, How about Lillard? He, I like the yeah. He's real nice too. Um. I would probably, I would, I, 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 I would say I could put him up there. Okay. What's the uh, the kid in uh, for Cleveland? That I, was it Cleveland? Iman you talking about Iman Shumpert? Yeah, Shumpert. Yeah. Uh huh. I think he's pretty nice too. How about uh, so old, two old school guys we talk about all the time, Dana Barros and Cedric Sabalas. Mm, I thought Dana was nice. Yeah. yeah. I thought Dana was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Dana Barrows is nice. That's exactly how I would answer that question, too. <laughs> exactly. Is, yeah, Dana Barrows is pretty good. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> and Cedric Sabalas, he tried. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, let me, Joe, let me ask you at the beginning, which uh, our, our fans could find on, on YouTube. Were you, I feel like you, you snuck in... Uh, rhymes about all the NBA cities you played in. Uh, did, did did you get them? Did you hit them all, or, or were you just trying to throw out your favorites? Did I hit them all? I think I might. I think I did hit them all. Which city did you play in that maybe had the best sort of underground hip hop scene? You know, like like for for example, like people don't think of. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, they don't think of Minnesota, <laughs> for example. But you know, it's it, it's you know every every city's different. Like, was there a particular place you played that you're like, man, this, the the scene here is better than people think? Yeah, uh, it was Minnesota. 
I mean, that was it. That was the one. I mean, it was. I was. I was surprised uh, when I got there to realize how uh, how the underground hip hop world was was there. I mean, it, the the um, the club first asked. They used to have so many uh, hip hop shows in there when I was there. Uh, some of the clubs, local clubs, they had the you know the uh, underground hip hop spots, and I mean, it was it was a lot. It was a lot more than what I expected when I got there. Did you catch any particular? like up and coming guys playing through Minnesota that you were like later in life, you're like, man, I can't believe I saw them play in a small club up there or whatever. No. And that's the thing about it. I, 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 I've been looking, but I haven't seen anyone that I, that I saw when I played there. Um, or when I was going to those, those, those type of spots. Um, but you never know. You never know. I mean, uh, they, they still might have a shot. I still might, they still might be uh, doing the way social media is. They still they still may be uh, having a successful career, but just not in the mainstream. Right. Well, let, let's transition to as we wrap here. Let, let's talk about what you've got going on now. You you've started your own basketball academy, um, yeah. where you're you're teaching the next generation. So tell us a little bit of how you got into that, and 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 I guess you know we we love to complain about you know we're in our thirties. We love to complain about what the kids are doing these days. So what what tendency what tendencies are you seeing from them that um, that you're cleaning up? I mean, yeah, I have my basketball academy called the Joe Smith Academy. And um, it's basically just skills training. I'm doing uh, footwork, uh, ball handling, shooting drills, on the move, uh, off the dribble. And, um, I mean, the, the, the main thing for the kids right now is just confidence. I mean, a lot of yeah. kids that I train that, that I train, and that come into the gym to, to work with me, I mean, they, they, they have a little bit of skills. Um, they can shoot the ball a little, you know, but it's just their confidence that they, they – they get in the game and they're afraid to do it. So the repetition, I feel the repetition with the training that I do and, and getting them comfortable and confident out there on the floor really helps them out a lot. I mean, I, uh, I see improvement in their game, but I see more improvement in their confidence when they, uh, the more they work, the more, you know, I get to work with them. You know, and, and Joe, you, you've made a lot of headlines recently with opening up about um, just the financial difficulties and the ups and downs post-career. How excited are you to sort of start fresh with this academy? And, you know, clearly you've got your music and, and right. you seem like you've still got a positive energy, a, a strong uh, optimism for the future. Just can you talk a little bit about your headspace and, and, and how excited you are to go from here? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel I feel good about things. It was uh, went through a tough stretch. Uh, you know, but uh, I feel like you know uh, things. I uh, feel things are going in a positive direction now, and you know I feel great about things. I love. I enjoy working with the kids, and uh, uh, it's something that uh, I've always wanted to do when when I retired. But you know, I just couldn't find the right way to go about it. And um, now that I'm on the right path and have things going in the right direction, everything is going. Everything is great. Um, getting more clients and. You know, I just feel good about the future, and uh, I've been in this this spot before, so I know that uh, uh, just to stay positive, stay, stay, uh, keep my faith, and stay humble. Yeah. Hey, Joe, we're we're rooting for you. We we think it's awesome. We will also 
Uh, drive our, our listeners to the Joe Smith Basketball Academy for boysandgirls.org, which is where they can look Thank up more you. information. By the way, man, that's yeah. a long website address for a guy who's got a short name like Joe Smith. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was typing it out, I was I kept telling myself, like, this is long. This, this is long. Yeah. Well, the motto, I, <laughs> the motto of the Academy is passion, persistence, perseverance. I feel like that's what you need to kind of like type that whole thing out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, no, we're, we're Working. Look, it's great. And uh, thanks for coming on and breaking it down. It's fun to relive these memories and uh, best of luck moving forward. Oh, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Cause I actually blown up bigger life than you clowns could dream. This is triumph, not a tragedy. How my life turned around so casually. From rags to riches, highway to heaven. Gotta keep grinding 24-7. Young rich and black, I'm a dangerous weapon. And the moment that I'm in, I'm gonna live forever. No more stress, too big for the hate. All the rumors in the streets get killed at the gate. Half y'all haters can't even think straight. Yet alone, know the pain I suffer to be great. Highs and lows, still my faith. And we are back in the sports world athletes coaches media they do interesting things and then we tell them stop being interesting go back to watching game film all the time that is ridiculous life is just work and the things that distract us from work so right now we take the last part of our show every week and tell you what's distracting us Gareth, you have promised us a uh, a grand opus, my friend. So the floor is a yours. Yeah, usually we kick it freestyle on the show today. I brought a written. Adam Willard, this goes out to you. Whoa. Happy really? birthday, buddy. Okay. Thank you. All right. So you bought yourself a record player. Congratulations on joining the world of high fidelity in search of a true analog experience. Now that you've leapt backward into the future, let me present you with the Just Not Sports Guide to Owning a Record Player and Record Collecting 2018 Edition. All right, right, just reading the room here, getting a lot of... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's that? This was my distraction as well, so continue. So this is important here, uh, before we go any further, for both you and for our listeners. Um, I wrote this for Adam when he bought a record player recently. This whole thing is about four pages. <laughs> so, 10.5. Um, how in-depth do you want to get here on the record collecting? Deep. Deep cut. Let's go. I mean, as the guy who edits, <laughs> as the guy who edits the thing, Gareth, maybe half of that. And I'm also getting online now, so hey. just knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll build that in when I read the room. Um, all right, it starts. At, I, I will zip through this, so you don't all have to read it. But Adam, this is coming your way, and we can post it for anyone who has questions or who has wanted to buy a record player. But basically, I've been collecting records for about 20 years. It started when I was in college. And uh, I put together some thoughts and tips for you now that you have entered this world. So there's a section on furniture, because you have to be aware of the fact that basically what you've bought is a piece of furniture. So caring for it and dealing with that, accommodating it in your apartment, those are all factors. Uh, The second Mm -hmm. section is on cleaning your records and maintaining um, the condition of them and also how to kind of keep your record player clean. Like there's like, I've had to 
clean out the dust in the back because there's a hum that picks up. It's a sensitive instrument. You have to deal with that. But all that, and this is where I'll read verbatim, builds up to the collecting section. Okay. All this stuff about moving on to bigger and better tools and toys is a way to get to the fun part. Record collecting. As hobbies go, this is about as good as it gets and just as nerdy as comic books and one I've been at for 20 years now. Enough that I've seen it change a lot and I can give you some advice on this. Adam, All right. what do you want to collect? Ask yourself that question. Are you looking to rediscover songs and artists you know and love? Or are you looking to learn mm. about old music you don't know about? The answer can mm. be yes, but it will lead you to answering the question of whether you want to focus on new and recently repressed reissue records or older original pressings. What do you think you want to focus hmm. on? Uh, older. Okay. If you want to dig on the former, the new stuff, jump right in. There's a ton of it out there available from your local record store to your local grocery store. The vinyl boom of the last five to ten years has led to more and more places stocking vinyl until it's started to feel like drugs are... Uh, records are a Portlandia-style affectation and nothing more. <laughs> Have you heard the new War on Drugs record? I'm streaming it right now. Well, I'm playing it in my car-adapted record player. It sounds so much better except when I hit a pothole or take a tight turn. But trust me, the lossless <laughs> fidelity is worth the sacrifice. <laughs> that stuff is findable. Some is overpriced, some is crap that is mastered off a CD and sounds awful. But if you want it, to have and to hold and to roll a joint on, dig right in. Beware the scams Whoa. and bullshit re-releases around Record Store Day. What started as a way to celebrate a niche hobby has descended into a field day for grifters and eBay hoarders and is to be avoided. Most anything that is released on a picture disc or all-white pressing is probably not worth getting up five a at 5 a.m. or your money. But not much that is all-white is. It is... If it's the old stuff you seek, and it sounds like it is, then you're playing the long game, and the only word I can offer you, Adam, is patience. You'll want to buy everything right away, and that's natural, and you'll do it even though I tell you not to. Get a Discogs <laughs> account, Discogs.com, and go nuts and have your mailman resenting you and start getting packages from overseas, and it's all great high until the come down <laughs> of the credit card bill, and no new record quite gets you there like the first. I went on a Latin bender that I now look back on as a very regrettable $30 a day habit because I was chasing the feeling of when I first heard Joe Batan, Joe Baton, excuse me, or Ray Barreto's Acid. What I learned was that there's a reason those albums are bona fide classics and the one tracker garbage I was chasing never rose to the top. Turns out label executives knew talent when they heard it and some of their advice is to be trusted. Gems slip through the cracks all the time and in all genres, but as a guy who spent a ton of time and money chasing rare soul records, man, sometimes Curtis Mayfield is all you need. The best thing you nice. can do is find two or three local record shops that sell old two or three local shops that sell old records and just start talking. Get to know the guys there. They are, sadly, almost all guys. Follow them on Instagram. <laughs> Find out what they like, what they know. Buy the occasional record blind at their recommendation. Don't chase every genre. You'll go broke buying original Afro or Jamaican records, and international eBay is not a game for the faint of heart. Damn you, French <laughs> Postal Service. If you can hone what you want, though, and not chase total instant gratification, then you'll enjoy it so much more. The record you want is always out there, and eventually it will come to you. You will make mistakes. You will buy crap. You will look at all your records one day and hate them. The key to creating a living collection is to help it breathe. 
you don't like something or are bored of it, get rid of it. I traded in 40 records last winter, some of it those Latin mistakes, for a rare Brazilian joint and a record of gospel Dylan songs. A 40 to 2 trade ain't bad if you're getting things you'll want and listen to. Adam, you're a curator now. It's a trendy, annoying buzzword, but it fits here. In a world increasingly moving to digital music and limitless options and a detachment from what we play, where most people are content to let Alexa and an algorithm decide what is best, you have chosen a different path. You are saying that your taste is better than theirs, that you can feel and enhance a moment with music and the ritual of playing it. And Adam, just by making that choice, you are right. Enjoy it. It's a journey, not a destination, and I'll be there to help you box them up if you ever move. But I ain't moving them. Those fuckers are heavy. And if you can afford to buy all those records, you can afford a moving man. There you go. Nice, man. That was beautiful. Thank you. Brad, are you still there? Yeah, Brad, I'm done now. Hey, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, guys. Uh, Booty rapper, stay booty. Hey, uh, one question, Gareth. Uh, yeah. Where, where were you the other night after I had had a few drinks and, and ordered the Top Gun soundtrack on final? Oh. Yeah, that's going to start happening, man. Yeah. Adam, Drunk or Adam, dialing is... Underrated yeah. on, that, on that soundtrack are Playing With The Boys by Kenny Loggins, the other song that's not Danger, Danger Zone. And uh, I think Through The Fire... Through the fire, ba, ba, ba. Like it's a lot of cliched, uh, uh, it's a lot of cliched military uh, style, um, you know, lyrics in that in that album. But it's a, it's a it's a hot album, man. It, Adam, awesome. you said Top Gun soundtrack, and Brad perked yes, up, sir. and he was just like, "Yes, you are a curator. Yes, I like yeah. this direction. Yeah, I feel like this segment made everybody happy. That was that was awesome. All right, I appreciate it, and I will post that on Facebook tomorrow. I am. I'm really proud of you for making the leap. As the judge and jury of this uh, show, I'm declaring <laughs> that's both of your distractions. We are closing the show, and I'm foregoing mine uh, <laughs> until next week. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. It was good, Thanks, Garrett. Man. I'm it proud of you. Good. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Um, uh, I just want you to know that I, I wish nothing but the best birthdays for that woman in your office (laughs) 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 all right that is our show for this week i want to give a shout out to joe smith i also want to give a shout out to malik seeley uh late nba player a really great college player at st john's back when that meant something to say uh in the late 80s early 90s and uh he was a hip-hop artist himself right now i want to quote you a little bit of uh of malik seeley and that is from the song Lost in the Sauce. Life's just one big jump shot. You're either on or you might be off. So try to maintain and refrain from the strain. And don't 
get lost in the sauce. Love that. And Adam, any shout-outs for this week? I'm very moved, uh, but I will keep it simple. My boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and finally, my other cousin Ron. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Adam, are you going to start DJing with Def Jeff now? I'm finally here. Life's just one big jump shot. You're either on or you might be off. So try to maintain and refrain from the strain. And don't get lost in the sauce. Life's just one big jump shot. You're either on or you might be off. So try to maintain and refrain from the strain. And don't get lost in the sauce. In the Bronx at times was a little shaky, but cooler with my people, that's good, used to make me just shit.